Dr. Dan's Freedom Forum is on the air. Never send to know for whom the bell tolls. It tolls for thee. Dr. Dan's Freedom Forum is a call to arms for those American patriots who, in the tradition of our founding fathers, will stand up now to defend the Constitution and the liberties that it guarantees to each citizen, to each of us. That is our mission, to explain in a clear and concise manner the direct effect of each issue on the individual, on you personally not some anonymous being in a distant place, and to define in no uncertain terms the consequences of inaction. Let the battle begin. We're talking with uh, Pastor Matt Troella. You know, the church, uh, and I'm not talking about even even in right now times, because there's things to discuss about right now, but in the past, here were pastors who would not speak up against evil the way they should. Uh, and you're right. They really betrayed God. They, they, they betrayed their oath to God is basically what they did because they saw evil. They knew evil and they said nothing for decades. And that's what allowed the flock to stray. Yeah, absolutely. And you have to understand the form of Christianity we have is steeped in this notion that we are we show our spirituality by how much we're not involved in civil government matters. It's important for people to understand. I've had countless people, countless churchmen tell me we lost the culture war. It's over. The truth of the matter is, Dr. Dan, the culture war is never over. And now we're to the point, since you think it's over and you've been indifferent towards it for decades and years, it's knocking on your front door. In fact, it's ready to break your front door down. You you can't be indifferent towards the unjust and immoral actions of your government. You don't have that convenience. You must take a stand. And the stand that you take must be rooted in Christ. This is extremely urgent for people to understand this. And what I have seen over the last year and a half now is more people than ever who are realizing they no longer have the convenience of being indifferent to the unjust and immoral actions of their government. And they're flooding into county and local government. You mentioned being a county official. Here's where we're at. People are more than ever are realizing DC's at war with them. Their state officials aren't going to protect them. And so they're flooding into county and local government in order to make a stand for freedom. While all this COVID stuff has been going on for nearly two years now, we've not seen acts of interposition by state leadership, governors, legislatures against federal actions. But we have seen hundreds of acts of interposition by county officials and local officials, by sheriffs, by county boards, by mayors, by city councils, hundreds and hundreds of acts of interposition by those officials, both against state government, because so many of the states and their governors have acted the tyrant, and also the federal government itself, counties and local governments defying their state, defying the federal government. If you'd like, I could share you just a couple of examples. There's some phenomenal stories 
of all these acts of interposition. For example, down in Chicago, Illinois, I should say in Illinois, Governor Pritzker, I don't know if you remember when this all began back in March of 2020, how these governors were coming out with their new draconian orders like every 72 hours. And Governor Pritzker is still playing the tyrant today. In May of 2020, came out with his latest edict, and it declared, Dr. Dan, that no businessman in the entire state of Illinois can open their business till I say they can open their business. And if anyone opens their business before I say they can, they'll now be arrested and charged with a crime. Well, the very next day, in a state of 102 counties, only one lone county assembled to respond to Governor Pritzker. It was Madison County, which sits down on the Mississippi River, directly across from St. Louis. They assembled their county board the very next day, and they issued their own decree. And their decree declared that their businessmen are free to reopen now, and that they would use all their authority and all their power to protect their businessmen. And then they cautioned the governor and the state not to interfere with their businessmen. Well, the very next day after that, Governor Pritzker had a press conference where he attacks Madison County threatens their federal money, threatens their state money, says he's going to do all these bad things to them. In fact, he did this for the next three days. It was all a big deal in the news. Madison County stood resolute. They did not waver. They did not flinch. They stood strong on what they had issued. Well, seven days after Governor Pritzker had issued his order, then the Illinois State Police put out a press release declaring that they would not arrest any businessman anywhere in the state who opened their business before Governor Pritzker said they could open their business. They had decided to stand with Madison County. And the very next day after that, Governor Pritzker rescinded his order. So if it hadn't been for the interposition of that one county of 102 counties, all of Illinois would have remained under that draconian decree of Governor Prisca. That's how important the interposition of the lesser authorities is. That's how huge it is. And by the way, the man who heads up that county is a Christian. And he had read my book on the doctrine of lesser magistrate two years earlier, had taught it to the other county commissioners. They knew exactly what their duty was in the sight of that kind of evil. So this doctrine assembled by Christian men hundreds of years ago, found in scripture, is being applied today in America. Praise be to God. Well, that's a great story. And you'll be happy to know that as a county commissioner here, um, I wrote and had passed uh, the resolution that made us a Second Amendment sanctuary county. We were the first county east of the Mississippi to do so. And I followed that up by making us a Bill of Rights sanctuary county. And the proviso in that resolution is that no funds from this county can be used by any department in this county that interferes with the Second Amendment or with any of the natural law rights in the Bill of Rights. We're very fortunate. We're blessed here to have a constitutional sheriff uh, who is also a Christian, by the way. And and he agrees with that. He understands that the sheriff is the highest elected law enforcement official in the country. And as as a result, he is elected, not appointed. And his responsibility, his allegiance is to the constituents of the county that elected him. 
Amen. No, that that is phenomenal to hear. And I've been watching counties across the country do various resolutions and or ordinances, just like what you just described. And I encourage people because they want to get involved. And I tell them, you need to introduce one of these resolutions or ordinances, because once you do that, you'll know exactly where each person on the board stands, and then you'll know who you need to unseat. And so that is one of them that I talk to them about, the Constitutional or Bill of Rights County. I also talk about Medical Freedom County, um, a sanctuary county for the pre-born. Um, and of course, um, the one you also did, uh, the Second Amendment resolution or ordinance. Very important stuff because it gives people a place to rally to their lesser magistrates. And it also exposes anyone on the board, their heart, so that you know who you need to remove. Because anyone who won't support one of these resolutions shouldn't be seen. You know, one of the things that's interesting here, and again, we're talking with uh, Pastor Matt Trohella, the author of The Doctrine of the Lesser Magistrates, um, an incredible book. Uh, and, and once you read it, you will never be the same again, because then you will understand your duty, not only to God, but your duty to your fellow man in your place where you live. Um, you know, it strikes me that there have been some pretty important historical failures of the lesser magistrates, say, over the last hundred years, the last century, or more even. But ones that, for instance, come to mind is what happened in, in Nazi Germany in the 30s and the 40s. Uh, that was obviously not just a tragedy, that was pure evil. And who stood up? Who stood up in Germany to prevent that? Well, we know a couple of clergymen did, and they lost their lives for it. That's a failure of the lesser magistrates, except for one or two. And that's that was when actually the church sought to ally itself with Adolf Hitler yes. in Germany. Um, yeah. an, another major failure, as far as I'm concerned. Yeah, absolutely. You know, uh, I think it's important for people to know cowardice. We're drowning in the cowardice of the lesser magistrates in our day, too. Though there's been hundreds of examples of interposition by them, the vast majority of them have blithely complied. And the interposition that's been done by some of the lesser authorities, um, I'm sure you've read some of the resolutions. Of it. They're pretty watered down. They could have been sh much more sharply worded and need to be sharply worded in order to check the tyrants and their tyrannical behavior. But cowardice is not a small thing in God's worldview. I mean, you look in the book of Revelation, the very first ones going to the lake of fire before the adulterers, you know, before the long list of evil doing, the very first ones listed are the cowards. So cowardice is not viewed as a good thing from God's perspective. And I think one of the things that's important for us to do, Dr. Dan, both as a churchman, but also as Christians, is to instruct the magistrates into as to what their role and function and limits are. And we must instruct the magistrate on a given subject as to what the law of God requires. That is massively important for us to do um, in regards, and this was the history of Christianity up until about 150 or so years ago, the churchmen and Christians understood their duty 
to speak to the magistrates regarding their office. As Romans 13 makes clear, they are a minister of God and they are a servant of his, and therefore they must govern their office properly. So we have this thing that we call mission to the magistrates, and we go and we talk to them about their duty in the sight of God. And when you're asking them to commit an act of interposition and stand in defiance of evil by the superior authority, it's very important that you also assure them that if they do right, A, you have to demand they do it, and you have to prod them to do it. But you also have to assure them that if they do their duty and interpose, that you will stand with them four square, with your person, with your property, with your prayers, both publicly and privately. That's a huge part of the doctrine of lesser magistrate. The role of the people with when it comes to the doctrine of lesser magistrate is huge. Now, let's talk about today. I mean, obviously, there are some things going on now in this country, uh, some related to COVID uh, and others related to the judiciary uh, and the Supreme Court itself. So let's talk about some of the issues that we need to address right now to try to get our country back on the right course of good rather than evil. Sure. Well, to me, the shedding of innocent blood is is paramount. I mean, the, the matter of homosexuality is right up there too. These are great sins, um, national sins that you see God routinely brought his judgment upon nations um, when they flout these things, when they kill innocent people, when um, they allow the perversion of homosexuality to run rampant in the land. And of course, both of these things have been fueled and fomented by the Supreme Court. Um, when it comes to the murder of the preborn, we have Roe v. Wade in 1973, and all the states just complied. Uh, when it comes to homosexual marriage, um, you had 33 states that enacted state constitutional amendments to protect marriage between a man and a woman in their state. And as soon as the Supreme Court issued their decree, they all folded like a house of cards. Their duty wasn't compliance to SCOTUS, Dr. Dan. Their duty was interposition to stand against evil, say no one's going to be murdered here. Two men and two women aren't going to be married here. That's their duty. And I think it's important to go back to your opening comments of the show. Our founders established a true federalism. And I'm not talking about the federal government. I'm talking about federalism. And in a federalism, you have multiple levels of government multiple branches at each level, so that if any one branch or branches begins to play the tyrant, another branch or branches will interpose against them, will check that branch um, in the evil that they're trying to do. Well, what we've done now is our founders threw off a monarchy, and we've replaced it with an oligarchy. Name the Supreme Court, nine unelected officials who have been fomenting injustice and immorality upon Americans in their court opinions for decades now. That has to cease. And I tell people this all the time, every government official I meet with, the judiciary must be defied. They are not the final arbiters of all constitutional questions. Their opinions are not the law of the land. All the other branches of government do not have to bow down to what they say. 
I know they believe that. And I know the media teaches people that. I know all the lawyering schools teach the lawyers that. But it's simply not true. Um, when you look at this matter, those three things, they, they are called judicial um, supremacy. And judicial supremacy is a fiction. This idea that their opinions are the law of the land, that SCOTUS is the final arbiter of all constitutional questions and all other branches of government must obey them is absolutely not true to history or to how our nation was founded. For instance, when it says that, um, you know, their opinions are the law of the land. Well, Article 1, Section 1 of our U.S. Constitution declares that all lawmaking power resides in Congress, which consists of a House and a Senate. So, like, I got A's in every subject except math. In math, I got D's. And when they brought letters into math, I never could cross that divide. But even I understand that if all lawmaking power resides with Congress, how much does that leave the judiciary? And that's what it is, zero. They have no lawmaking power. And that's why, for instance, after the Abergapel opinion came out, Scalia excoriated the court and accused them of committing a super legislative act. The legislature's, legislature is the one who writes law, not the judiciary. Secondly, they claim that the um, Supreme Court is the final arbiter of all constitutional questions. They claim that this judicial supremacy is founded in Article 6, Paragraph 2 of the U.S. Constitution. But when you go to Article 6, Paragraph 2 of the U.S. Constitution, you see that the judiciary, the federal judiciary, isn't even mentioned. You see that the Supreme Court isn't even mentioned. What has the supremacy there clearly is the Constitution itself. And then the very next thing talked about is the oath that every official from a policeman to the president takes an oath to uphold the Constitution. They don't take an oath of subservience to the federal government. They don't take an oath to uphold unjust or immoral opinions issued by SCOTUS. They take an oath to uphold the Constitution and the people must hold them to that oath. Thomas Jefferson spent the last 23 years of his life at war with the Supreme Court because he saw exactly what they were doing, that through their issued opinions, they were accruing powers to the federal government, not granted to the federal government by the Constitution, while at the same time denigrating the sovereignties of the states. In fact, there were 24 cases, Supreme Court cases in the first 35 years after our nation was founded where the Supreme Court wrote powers in their court opinion to the um, federal government not found in the Constitution and um, demeaned and belittled or retracted powers that were to be held by the states. So Thomas Jefferson, when it came to this final arbiter deal, said there is no final arbiter. He said the Constitution created no such tribunal. They wanted that tension between the dev different levels of government and the different branches for men to uphold their oath to the Constitution. Once you give any human government unlimited authority, it will corrupt itself. And that's what's happened with the Supreme Court. And if you look at their comments for over 100 years now, these Supreme Court justices, they are so arrogant and full of themselves um, in regards to their hubris, how they believe that they can change the Constitution, that they have changed the Constitution through their court opinions. 
Well, they only get to do that as everyone else complies with them, which unfortunately they've been doing. We have to overcome that with the magistrates. I tell them the judiciary must be defied. You have to defy them. And they just kind of like blank, blank. But see, you have to understand, Dr. Dan, they love, the politicians love this arrangement with the Supreme Court deciding everything because then they can tell their constituents, oh, I'm against that. But the courts have ruled. All we can do is obey. You must call them on that and tell them that's not true and demand that they do their duty and interpose and defy the Supreme Court. Extremely important. And that concludes another episode of Dr. Dan's Freedom Forum. Join the battle on our website, www.drdansfreedomforum.com. The rights to own private property that cannot be arbitrarily confiscated by the government is the moral right and constitutional basis for individual freedom. In everything. 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 Everything.